This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. This is Knowledge at Wharton, and you're listening to Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Thanks for spending part of your day with us. The problem of the gender pay gap has been one that has been publicized here in the United States. Still, not much has been done to address the issue. But in Iceland, the country is taking an unprecedented step of making companies show them that they do not have a gender pay gap within their own walls. A new law in the country says the companies must show their salary structures every three years to prove it. Joining us to discuss this and look into this are Janice Balache, who is a chair in legal studies, as well as a professor of legal studies and business ethics and professor of management here at the Wharton School. And also joining us is Janice Madden, who is a professor of regional science, sociology, and real estate here at the University of Pennsylvania. Great to have you both with us. Thank you very much for coming in. Thank you. Great to have you. Um, So I, I guess... When you heard this story, Janice, what was your reaction to this? I mean, it's one thing to try and tackle this in an overall perspective, but, I mean, this is, uh, to a degree, this is, I, I think, unprecedented that a government is saying enough is enough, and we want to remove this from, from our society. Uh, twofold. Uh, firstly, as my first reaction is, this is great, because you can have a right, but there's no way to enforce it. You can't. You can't get the information you need. You might not even realize the issue. So here's the government doing something. Um, the only thing I'd say is almost exactly at the same time, uh, in several European countries, this is happening, like UK, uh, Germany, they are all looking at this fact. Women's groups are saying, wait a moment, we have this great guarantee, but why hasn't the gap narrowed? So that's what they're pushing forward on. Janice? Well, I... <laughs> I'm I'm puzzled by the whole thing. I mean, I'm uh, at one at one level. I think it may be just the standard of proof that I don't know. We enforce our laws through the courts, and I right. don't know if that's done in Iceland. If this was done in the United States, it would change the standard of proof as to how you prove discrimination. Where the favor would be discrimination is there unless you prove otherwise, right. as, which would be very different. Well, the interesting thing is that I think to a degree we look at this here as just a United States problem. And, and this is something that obviously is a global issue, uh, even larger than a lot of people uh, really uh, you know, kind of look at it. Oh, it's definitely a global issue. And there's been lots of o- OECD uh, agency, uh, international agency has been following this for some time. The U.S. has among the largest of the gender gaps, but we have more wage inequality. And, and the evidence seems to be that the reason we have a larger gender gap is we just have much more variation in wages than the other countries do. I don't think we're an outlier once you consider that we've got more um, wage variability overall. Jess? I agree. I'd, I'd say one thing, that um, the international legal standard from 1951, thing called Convention 100, says equal pay for work of equal value. Right. We don't have that in the United States. That's not what our statute says. In much of Europe, Iceland's not in Europe, but they're mirroring what's happening in the European Union. Right. The, the law says equal pay for work of equal value. The moment you say that, you have to say, well, how do you determine what equal value is? Right, right. right. Well, you could you could have a woman say, "Gee, I think I'm paid. My job is paid too low versus some other job." Well, so what? How's she going to prove this? How's she going to know? So these governments are taking a more proactive view, often through something like our equivalent of the EEOC or the Ministry of Labor. That that's what's happening. Yes. 
Well, yes, and but but I think that it, Janice, I, correct right. me. You're the lawyer. I'm the right. economist. But I, I I think what's happening here that may be very different is that if companies are required to expose what their salaries are. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only to their employees, but to the larger country, that eases enforcement a lot because a lot of how you maintain wage differences in this country is yeah. through secrecy. <laughs> That's correct. Um, and the, the I just want to mention the U.K. because their law comes into effect at the end of April. Com- companies that have more than 250 employees will have to report certain things. Uh, the British press, the Financial Times, is already saying that very few companies report it. They think they, this is difficult, but – that the early reports are so obviously wrong. This is the Financial Times saying this. Right. They're so obviously wrong. Their voice, companies are being forced out of shame to go back and say, oh, let's look at this a little more closely. So this idea of if we had more knowledge, I don't, I don't know if it would make the wages fairer, as I said, like you could have greater wage variability. Right. But it's saying to employers, just tell us why you think job A is worth twice what job B is. Joining us also right now uh, from Iceland is uh, Thurgador Honest Daughter, who is a professor of gender studies at the University of Iceland. Thorgador, great to have you with us today. Thank you for your time. Yeah, thank you. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you. So I guess give us a little background first on how this new law came into existence in the first place. Yeah, it was uh, an interim provision with the Gender Equality Act from 2008, and it was an attempt to find a strategy to reinforce the work for which equality, which had been going on for decades, and it was decided to take steps towards a special certification system. So the, 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 the government joined forces with the social partners, the Icelandic Confederation of Labour and the Employers' Organization, right. and requested that uh, the Icelandic Standards Institute should uh, prepare and cre- create the standard. And the idea received uh, very much uh, approval back then when it was adopted. So we got first this uh, certification system, which then became the Equal Pay Standard, which was published uh, in 2012, and then it was uh, legalized in 2017. So what are the uh, what are the repercussions of a company with this new law uh, if they are not holding up to the standards of, of having equal pay? We, there's only a general, uh, this is a part of the Gender Equality Act in Iceland. Uh, so there is a general paragraph in the Gender Equality Act uh, that the Center for Gender Equality may decide per diem fines. And we've had that paragraph for a very long time, but it has never been used. So it remains to be seen now if, the, if it will be used in this case. What has been the what what has been the reaction of companies in Iceland to this new law? They've been uh, rather positive, I must say, because this has been a, a rather long process, and it was, uh, as I said, the joint forces, the, the government with the, the social partners, and it was a bipartisan uh, support in the in the parliament when it was adopted. So there hasn't been uh, very much uh, resistance, actually. Well, some, some though, but not very strong. What uh, What is the potential economic impact that they believe could occur in Iceland with having equal pay for both men and women? This is a very tricky question because it hasn't really been discussed uh, along these lines mm. in Iceland. 
this has mostly been discussed uh, because of uh, pressure from the, the from women and the women's movement as a justice issue. So, but I'm, I'm yeah. So actually, this hasn't been a, an issue. Right. Janice? Let me just say, that's a very interesting question because, you know, it's, it's very disruptive at the time of the transition. But when you look yeah. at wage hierarchies and you say job A versus job B, yeah. um, in the American statute, we say if the woman is earning less and you think the job is the same, then she should be raised up to the male level. Right. But there's a question. I know it seems odd in Going the market. Going the other way. Yeah. Is the woman underpaid or is or the, the predominantly female job, is that underpaid or is the predominantly male job overpaid? Right. Because in compensation, it's, it's all relations between mm-hmm. jobs. So theoretically, one might say that in the long run, you might have more efficient labor markets because the prices for jobs would be better known and there'd be, you know, people would be choosing that. But that's in the long run, not in the short run. You know, this is an awful lot, it seems to me, like the debate that happened in the 1980s in this country with respect to this concept called comparable worth, where lawyers were trying to say that the Title VII of the Civil Rights Law here required that you pay jobs of equal worth the same, and the whole thing was what constitutes equal worth. It ended up that the courts tossed that out. It has been used a little bit in government jobs, yeah, yeah. but uh, it really had had little effect. And there was a huge backlash. Let me say this. just say, which I, would mean I, yeah. you you would have to go sector to sector to kind of yeah. get that that well, level I'll, ground. I'll, right? I'll give you the really easy case because I wrote when I was a young professor. I wrote this um, real case. Uh, Parking meter repair people, graduate from high school, train for three weeks, go out, fix parking meters. Right. Yeah. Public health nurses, graduate from high school, go to nursing school for three years, become a registered nurse, work in the you know, public health. The parking meter repair people made more. Under the, Amer- <laughs> yeah, under the American statute, you cannot bring that case because our yes. statute says the job has to be the same or substantially similar. They're not. Right. When I discussed this case with my class, they're like astounded. Under an equal value guarantee – you could bring the case. Now, the question is how you prove it, but at least you could bring it. In the United States, the Supreme Court just uh, basically said no for a reason about the way Title VII is written. Uh, so we've had we, – we have like an old-fashioned statute. Thurgador, let me ask you this. I mean, is there an expectation that – uh, that companies in Iceland will be able to comply with this new law in just a three uh, three year period of time, or is there is there more of a lag period being given at the outset of this law? Yeah, there is, there is a, a lag given uh, depending on the size of the companies. So they have some adaptation period, but I know that uh, they've started uh, to implement it. And there are courses now being given, and so that's being implemented, I think, now. And there's also a, there's also a great pressure, because this has got this uh, attention internationally, very, very, very wide publicity. So I think people are also keen to, to stick to it. 844-WHARTON is the number if you would like to join in with your comments or questions. 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter, and we can bring it up on the show through that manner, at BizRadio111, or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Uh, you mentioned, uh, Janice Madden, the, the OECD countries. From what I understand in looking at this, there are a lot of OECD countries that are looking at this issue right now and looking to see how they could potentially either A, follow the path of Iceland or come up with their own legislation to be able to tackle this. 
Well, I don't know what's going on politically in those countries. I yeah. can't respond very much to that. I can say, however, that most of these countries, and particularly the United States, are quite different from Iceland. I mean, a country yeah. with 335,000 people that's an island it, it can't has actually the ability to sort of think about how to set wages and divide up resources in the country uh, in, in a way that they control, in a way that the United States is a country that's more uh, a part of the international trade situation cannot. Janice? Yeah, I was going to say that in Europe, it is, as I said, because there's in, in the European Union a directive, there's also a network of experts on, you know, pay and all this. So uh, Germany, which has, what, 80 million or something, their law is coming in effect, I think, this year, and they they apply to companies with over 200, yeah. something similar. Right. Uh, and Britain, it's companies over 250. It, it's in effect this year. So there is a tension, at least asking medium and large-sized companies, could you please explain to us, you know, what's going on with, with your wage distribution? Which I guess is interesting from the perspective of, I, I believe this new law in Iceland goes all the way down to 25 mm-hmm. is, the, is the minimum size that has to be in well, by this, the one other factor about Iceland, it's about 80% unionized, not just blue color, but white color. So they're okay. more accustomed to a bargaining wages yes. and having more knowledge about them than uh, we are in the so, United and States. In fact, when I was working... And I also, yeah, and I also think that we're more used in Iceland to uh, active measures on behalf of the government. So we had this uh, parental leave. Paternity leave in yeah. 2000, yeah. Mm-hmm. which was uh, uh, gives fathers three uh, non-transferable uh, months to, of parental leave, and uh, there was a c- complete consensus about that in the parliament, even among the right-wing uh, parliamentarians, the conservatives, with the ju- with the justification that it would, uh, you know, correct market failures. If we even out, uh, you know, the situation mm. of of women and men uh, when they get a child, then the employers wouldn't have any reason to employ, to hire um, a, a man rather than a woman. But that was an optimism that didn't turn, it, it, it didn't turn out to be like that. But then also we got in 2010, we got this uh, quota law on company boards. So in Iceland, we are more used to uh, possible, like active measures on behalf of the government to, yeah, to correct things, and people accept that. Okay. I, I did, the, can I just explain the, what she the, just the said? Writing, yeah. I yep. just want to say this from an American sense. What she's saying is, if in the United States, if we give parental leave, we say it's unisex, and, right? And in Iceland, and I know Sweden before, they said, wait a moment, if we give twelve months parental leave, you know what? The woman takes twelve months, and then employers. Yeah. Uh, take the whole 12 months. Then the employers say, I don't want to hire a woman who might have a baby because then I'd have to have 12 months. So what they say is three of those months, the other parent has to take it, which is usually the father. You don't take those three months, you leave the money on the table. Right. What you get year after year is more and more yeah. men take it. Right. So then they say, well, if I hire anybody under the age of you know 35, I'll yeah. probably end up paying something. Janice, yeah. man. Well, I wanted to point out that, in in, in fact, I, the 80% unionization in Iceland is probably big here. I, I haven't studied Iceland per se, and I'd be interested in what Thorgard had to say about this, but I know when I was working with local governments on the comparable worth issue, they basically had wages set by unions that were largely male-dominated. And so some of these differences were coming through a 
male power force, if you will, of the unions. And the cities actually were finding in these nursing jobs, they were having trouble attracting people because the wages weren't high enough. But under the union agreement, they couldn't change the law well, or Thur- change the wage. Thurgoodard, <laughs> let me ask you this. I mean, just from that perspective, how much does that, that high unionization rate really play a factor uh, in this potential move going forward? Um, now I'm not, not sure. As, as I said in the beginning, uh, they joined forces, so uh, it, it was because of negotiations between uh, the government and uh, the social partners that all this came about. So they, they've accepted the, the idea all along. And, and uh, yeah, as you say, 80% is unionized. So, so I think that's a strong co- contributing factor. Mm-hmm. If, you set, if you set up groups against each other, you have a problem. Janice just mentioned something. But most people don't realize the word comparable worth um, came at the end of World War II in a case that went to the National War Labor Board, right. George Taylor being the chairman from mm-hmm. the, George Taylor of the Wharton School, and it was bought by a union. And then in the 80s, the case – this was the case that people wanted – people who wanted a better analysis of this issue. Uh, it was here in the Third Circuit. It was a union, IUE versus Westinghouse. If you have a union that's representing many different job classifications, they have to look at it sensibly. But if you have a nurses' union versus a this union, yeah. you've got an issue. You have groups pitted against each well, other. Let me, let me ask you this, uh, Janice Madden, is the fact that if you're looking at the, the amount of, of – people that are in a union in Iceland, and we were talking about whether or not the pay rate would go up to meet the male standard or come down to meet what had been, quote-unquote, the female standard. My question is, if you have that unionization as part of it, wouldn't the tendency be to go up with the pay rate? Well, at least nominally, but over right. time, right. <laughs> it, it may erode. Yeah. <laughs> it takes time. And I was going to say that, um, you know, the employer says, look, I have so much money for wage increases. How right. do you want to divvy this up? So it's not every – it's yeah. impossible. It's going to adjust. I would I would imagine, Thurgador, that, that Iceland is uh, – and the government is probably already getting a lot of inquiries from other countries uh, around the globe about – you know what the process was to put this in, in into legislation, and this will be a uh, you know something that will be closely watched to see what the impacts are on a variety of different areas. Hmm. Yes, I think so. We we get a lot of requests here at the university about this. You might mention that the prime minister of Iceland, I think I'm correct, is a 41 year old woman with yes. three young children. Which means even at yeah. top government level, there is more sensitivity to these issues. Well, yeah. and their legislature was, is more this, than a third woman, too. <laughs> right. Thurgood, yeah, go ahead. Was, uh, yeah, this was, uh, this was uh, happened during the last, uh, yeah, before this government uh, got in office. So there was a man actually coming from the Employers Association. That was really interesting. It was a um, small party. He came. He came from, uh, and he represented the, the employers association before. Well, uh, so it was a liberal, liberal, liberal party uh, male minister who who proposed this. Thurgoodor, let me ask you this: in here in the United States, uh, for a long period of time, the. The, the conversation about people knowing other people's salaries was one that really didn't occur. I mean, it was it was kind of uh, it, it was, you know, it, it was not something that w- would happen normally. That's kind of changed a little bit, maybe not totally. W- what was it, what is the norm in Iceland? There are people more willing to to dis- to discuss salaries over there than than potentially we would have known here in the United States. 
Now, now it's uh, difficult for me to compare because I don't really know how it is in the U.S. But but that's not so sensitive issue in in Iceland. We've had in the Gender Equality Act since mm-hmm. 2008 that um, uh, weight uh, secrecy is forbidden. Uh, it's 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 a very weak paragraph, but still, though we have it, so we have had much discussion about it. So that's right. not a big. Uh, pro, uh, not not so much in the debate. There was well, a, the, there's been yeah. an effort in the United States, in fact, in Pennsylvania, to try and pass a law which says that you cannot stop employees from telling their wages. Right, yeah. and it's been strongly um, objected to and countered by employers that are worried. The, the, a report by the World <laughs> Economic Forum uh, looked at uh, the impact of having, quote-unquote, equal pay in a variety of different locations. They mentioned here in the United States that it could be upwards of adding close to $2 trillion to the GDP here in the U.S. I mean, realistically, when you think about it, I mean, that's a, that's a staggeringly high number. But when we think about how significant a problem it is and has been for a while, it, it maybe is not a, a, a massive number, as a lot of people would think. Janice? What, the $2 trillion? The $2 trillion, yeah. I mean, you could. I, I, it feels like you could. You could. Yeah. You could uh, make that up very easily. I haven't seen that study, and I'm hesitant to comment okay. on it because to All me right. that sounds like a lot. Yeah. <laughs> well, I only say is I'm curious how they're. Yeah. You know, employers have so I have a compensation budget, and how it suddenly would go up. I, I mean, I don't just don't. I don't quite understand it. I'd like. I'd have to see this study. 844 Wharton is the number to give us a call. 844-942-7866 is the number to join in. I, are well, we... I can. I want to say yep. the, the way things could improve, that this could happen, is that if women's wages go up, they're going to stay in the labor force more. They're going to get Correct. get more experience. The labor force gets more productive. That that's the argument, that the pie the pie increases. <laughs> which which one of the other mm-hmm. things is, uh, is mentioned is the fact that uh, men that are given that opportunity to take that three-month period of time away aren't necessarily always taking it and they are willing to leave it on the table instead to to you know to continue on with their job um i want to say something yeah the first year you get five percent the next year you get ten percent in sweden they're already up to forty percent right so so once it becomes a norm that it's acceptable that you do it and that's what it doesn't happen overnight yeah and then you have to make the calculation See, the woman can't get it. So then you have to put money out for childcare for a baby. Yeah. And they say to the guy, well, if you would stay home and it's acceptable to stay home, why'd you do it? Thurgood, uh, what is the expectation uh, uh, in your mind about how this will impact this country moving forward? I mean, obviously, a lot of, of questions are still out there because uh, there are a lot of unknowns. But is the expectation that we will see a significant change of both economically and, and uh, professionally in Iceland in the years to come? Um, unfortunately, I think there is too much uh, expectations. Mm. So I think because partly we've had very much international publicity, and I think we have to be very careful how we how we frame this new uh, reform. Because I think it's a very very useful tool. It can make um, employers and employees aware of the weight setting, how it goes about. It can. Uh, it's an attempt to make it more objective and transparent and systematic, but I think there's a reason to want too much optimism because this is no quick fix. And I think also there's a risk of uh, delusive, like, false security, you know, complacency. Janice? I was just going to say... I was going to add something you just said, what Janice just said. Um, You know, there's many... 
there's many reasons. <laughs> Let us, if we assume that discrimination is, or some un- undervaluing is part of it, but there's many other reasons why women as a group make less than men as a group, and that won't go away when you make things transparent. So you still have to look at those no, basic exactly. underlying. I agree with you exactly. There are too much ex- expectations, and uh, I'm afraid that many companies will try to use this, you know, for marketing uh, reasons and. and so it might end up not counterproductive, and I'm, I'm, I don't want to say that, but it might be, you know, a false uh, security. Janice? Well, I, I don't know. I, I would love to live in a world where companies think that advertising gender equality is good for sales. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's, in, that's in Iceland, you see. <laughs> Great having you all with us today. Uh, Thorgodor, thank you for your time joining us from Iceland today. Thank you very much. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.